Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing More than a feeling To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save your life To be powered by love Well, hello and welcome to Sacred Wit. We're glad that you're with us here tonight for another adventure into the life of King David. Uh, I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor at Elk River Lutheran Church. I'm Lisa Sampson, director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. Jeremy Hulquist, minister of Congregational Care and Discipleship. And I'm Taylor Quinn, the director of Music and Worship. And as I said, we're continuing into the life of David with this uh, series, David, Almost Perfect, but not quite. Uh, And tonight our theme is uh, you've got a friend, and we're going to meet one of David's good friends, Jonathan, uh, in the midst of all this craziness of David's ascendancy and Saul's uh, depression and anger issues coming out. David meets uh, someone who will become a really great and lifelong friend of his. Well, kind of lifelong, but especially for some really significant times, uh, Jonathan will be the friend David needs in this time. And so we're going to hear a little bit of that story here tonight and dig into the time around it as well. Yep. <clears throat> and now, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for ERLC Readers Theater. Tonight we'll be hearing an adaptation of 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. It won't be three chapters of the Bible long, though, right? <laughs> Sometime after David had stood against Goliath, King Saul took David into his house and would not let him return to his father's house. There, David and Saul's son Jonathan became the very closest of friends, so much so that they made a covenant that they would love and protect each other. Jonathan gave David his princely robe, armor, sword, his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever King Saul sent him, and all the people approved. Over time, however, King Saul became angry and was displeased and suspicious of David. It was said that an evil spirit from God had come upon Saul. One day, Saul spoke with his son Jonathan and all his servants about killing David. Well, this saddened Jonathan greatly, for he loved his friend. Jonathan said to David, My father is trying to kill you. Be on guard and stay in the secret space and hide. I, speak, I will speak to my father about you, and I will tell you what I learn. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father, saying, The king should not sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. He has done good deeds and has been in good service to you. You have always rejoiced in him. King Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, swearing, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Jonathan told David, and he returned to Saul's presence once more. But once again, an evil spirit came over Saul, and David was in danger. David went into hiding. But the friendship between Jonathan and David remained strong. 
Jonathan remained loyal to his dear friend, even though his father was dis had disgraced him with his hatred of David. The two friends arranged a meeting, and as Jonathan approached David's hiding place, David prostrated himself with his face to the ground, then bowed, and they kissed and wept with each other. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord that the Lord will be between me and you and between our descendants and your descendants forever. David got up and left that place. Jonathan went into the city. Here ends our oh. theater. <laughs> Thank you for listening to ERLC Readers Theater. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, so Jonathan is uh, the main character here tonight, and in a sense, this is David's story always, but uh, it's really uh, Jonathan's story here tonight, and he is this character right in the middle of a, what is a juicy soap opera, and we've already got a little bit of a taste of that, but we'll go into how there's more of that, because... Uh, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, uh, and so he's next in line for the throne, but he basically betrays his father and that uh, future role as king in order to befriend David. And then David ends up marrying his younger sister after being engaged to his older sister, but then uh, the king not allowing that first marriage to happen. Oh, baby, it's drama. Uh, there is intrigue and romance and uh, lots of drama. So get ready. We're in for a treat here. Uh, you know, it's so funny. It reminds me of how earlier this year, uh, Annie and I started watching The Crown on Netflix. And so if you know The Crown, it's the story that tells the story of the life of Queen Elizabeth, the actual queen, going back to when she's just a little girl and her dad is the king, and uh, right up until, if they keep making episodes, right up to current day is kind of the idea and the plan. And so we watched the show, and I, I every time I watched an episode, afterwards I would be Googling these characters and these stories because I could not believe <laughs> that this was real. Like, right. there can't be this much drama and dysfunction and forbidden romance and all of this in the story of this royal family is true. I mean, every time I Googled it, I'd be like, well, I'll be darned. Sure enough, this really happened. And that's kind of what we see in this story. It's just, this is soap opera drama at its best. And we love soap opera, don't we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the Crown is actually really good. <laughs> I think there must be something in their tea. I would watch that, but no on soap, yeah, no. soap oh. operas. No, we grew up. No, 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 no. We we grew up. It was every time we came in from the field during dinner, we'd wash our hands, and as we were washing hands, Grandpa would turn on whatever's happening that, as the stomach turns or days <laughs> of our lives. Falcon Ridge, Falcon Crest. Yes. So it was always something, and oh. Nope. In college. Oh, my cup of tea. We planned, at UMD, we planned our um, classes around Days of Our Lives at noon and then General Hospital. I was at Luke and Laura's wedding, of course, um, depending on what time you know our classes were. But they had a big theater upstairs above the cafeteria. It was a dark room with a huge screen, and everybody brought their lunch up there. It was what we did. Is that who you named your son after, Luke? No. Oh. Luke, Luke Skywalker. Come on. Okay. Did you really? Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> You're making Nathan happy there. We got a fan. <laughs> oh my God! So do I. <laughs> Don't tell Annie. Right. Um, uh, Annie Ken. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so maybe daytime soap operas aside, uh, I think actual dramatic stories with unexpected twists and forbidden romance, all those, those stories we do kind of like, I think. Uh, pretty much across the board, everyone likes oh, yeah. that a little bit. Well, they're juicy and they pull us into this story. Yeah. I mean, that's anything you watch or anything you read, you're automatically drawn in when the story gets full of intrigue. Oh, and yeah. And, I, yeah. I seriously think that if I knew all the stuff that was in the Bible when I was in confirmation, I would have paid attention a uh -huh. lot more. Yeah. They didn't tell us this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and that's the story. Like, you get these interesting characters and this development. And uh, so we've spent some time on King Saul and David. Um, Jonathan becomes sort of this next character of intrigue that comes out of the soap opera's t uh, tale, and we don't we don't hear a lot about who Jonathan is. I mean, we know he's the firstborn son of uh, King Saul, which means most likely he's the next in line to receive the throne. Um, but there's this kind of like Jonathan blips in the radar in chapters thirteen and fourteen, and he has these great like escapades as a military leader. Um, he crawls out of the rocks and the army becomes afraid of him. Like, it's great stuff. Go back and read it. Um, but you also kind of get these, like, he just vanishes. You know, we don't hear about his childhood. We don't hear, like, most of Jonathan's story has disappeared. Um, and then we pick him up right where we are today at the start of 18, where he goes from, like, celebrating David's success to bonding his soul and spirit to, to David. Um, and so it's kind of this interesting thing. One really quick connection that I want to make is if you read this story coming out of 14, um, whatever Jonathan does, his soldiers are bonded to him that go forward. Um, and you'll hear this line come up in a very similar way that comes up with David as well. First uh, Samuel 14, 7. And it's do all that your mind inclines to. I am with you. As your mind is, so is mine. This is uh, Jonathan's armor bearer saying this bonding to Jonathan as a leader. Um, and what we catch there is that fellow soldier to soldier bond. Um, I know we have some people that listen that are in the military or have been, and you kind of know this like everlasting bond that happens in the field of battle. Um, so think about that as we're talking about who these characters are and how they develop moving forward. Um, but otherwise, we don't hear a lot about Jonathan in this first part that we're tackling today. Um, he, can, he becomes more interesting as we move forward. Yeah. So then this next part we pick up is this uh, loyalty or blood relationship that comes. Um, David has defeated Goliath. And so he's gone back and he's having this conversation with Saul. Um, and then the next thing that happens, this next set of verses... Jonathan binds his soul together. They're bound soul to soul as brothers. Um, and so I'm curious, having had to Google this after conversations this week, have any of you heard the term blood brothers before? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm so surprised that you guys are a little more blank on this. Right. I, well, I, I have a blood brother. When okay. I was a kid. Not a blood sister. No, a blood brother. Um, my best friend growing up was named Mike. And he lived right next door to me, and we both cut our fingers and then tied them together with, like, um, grass, you know? We were very crafty and, we, yeah, you know, right. bows and arrows and, you know, 
woods. Anyway, and we did that, and, and you know, and we became blood brothers. Forever. It's so funny. How how did you know to do that or what? I don't remember. And <laughs> yeah. I, I must have been something on TV at the time or Andy Griffith. I don't know. It could have been anything, but it was something that we did. I mean, it is a beautiful ritual. Covenant. I mean, I, I love the notion of it and stuff, but I mostly only knew about it because I did it in My Girl. You know, it's like. And this was a few you know, years before My Girl came Yeah, out. yeah, there you go. Just and a so, couple. Just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, the Home Alone kid and the, this girl, they're, they're like blood brothers. That's that's cool, but I am too scared to cut my hand and, <laughs> and, and mix that. it with somebody else's, right? Oh, yeah. So we're not talking about blood brothers in the traditional sense of like your brother and sister, your family bond, but someone yeah. who you're bound to. Yeah. In the sense of, like, I actually had to go Google this. I had no idea. Should have just um, called me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lisa will know. But, like, cutting your finger and mixing yeah. the blood really is this what flows through me flows through yeah. you. And that we're bound together as one. Um, and I think another way to think about this, most of you in some ways, if you're online, if you're jumping into this, um, are familiar with this Ruth text, uh, yeah. Ruth and Naomi. Um, and thinking about it in terms of... Um, Binding one spirit in such a way that where you go, I go. Uh, so Ruth 1, 16 to 17, um, Ruth says, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I, will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. Mm. I mean, this beautiful language from Ruth that just holds them in a bond more prominent than just friendship. Um, yeah. I mean, this is something sort of everlasting. Um, and this is that kind of blood relationship that Jonathan and David um, experience. And it has, um, if you read this story and you're kind of familiar, there's some places where you might interpret this different ways, and there are scholars that have these wrestlings as well. Is it an intimate relationship? Is it a homosexual relationship? Is it a deep friendship? And the answer is we really don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. Because you read it, and even on the surface level, you read like that scene where um, Jonathan takes off all of his clothes and like passes them on to David. On the one hand, we know that's symbolic, or we at least assume that it's symbolic of um, him passing that role of you know, being the next king on to David, mm -hmm. saying that like these princely robes, which mean that I'm the firstborn and the heir to the throne, these I give to you. But you know, is there something more physically going on there? We don't know. I mean, there's plenty of people who say yes, absolutely. There's folks that say, no, I don't think that's there. But, you know, I think it's certainly open to that interpretation. At other points, you know, it talks about, you know, them kissing. It talks about, you know, just a really deep bond. And I think it's it's worth naming that, but it's also worth saying, we don't really know. <laughs> you know, right. that that's right. so much the case with so much of the Bible. Uh, but what we do know about this story, what I think is worth really clinging to, is there is a deepness to their connection. Their relationship is deep and, uh, you know, whether it's some pretty serious storms that, that come along the way, that they're bound together as, as blood brothers, you right. know, in that sense. Right. I think it's important, too, like for us as readers and, and people who are wrestling with this, I think going back to it and kind of getting that framework 
Um, so if you are at home, First Samuel 18, 1 to 5. Lisa, would you be willing to read that for us? Sure. When David had finished speaking with Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful whenever Saul sent him. And as a result, Saul set him over the army and all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. I mean, it's the beauty of this text. There's, there's quite a bit to unpack in these five little verses. Yeah. Um, you know, first we're kind of seeing this, um, is it a bromance? Is it a romance? Like what? You know, yeah. I love that phrase, right? That we we don't know the depth of that per se, um, but we do know that they become bound to each other in, in from soul to soul. Um, that's kind of a unique way to talk about a really deep friendship and not something we do even today. Um, the other thing that happens is Jonathan makes a covenant with David, a mutual agreement of friendship and loyalty to one another. Um, and I'm curious, do any of you have covenants in your friendships? Seriously? I'm a blood brother and the only one that has a covenant? <laughs> <laughs> I made a covenant with three other people when I started at Luther. We decided to do spiritual direction together. And so our spiritual um, director sat us down and we actually signed a covenant. And it talked about um, that we would, we would stand in touch with each other, we would pray for each other, we would uh, lift each other up, and we would spend time each month talking. And we'd each take turns and there's all sorts of rules and things like that. And we did that for that whole first year of seminary. And then um, we, we said we wanted to take a break over the summer and we never did. And we still keep in touch every day. And even though I'm done with seminary and the others are MDivs, and they're there for a couple more years, we will stay in touch probably forever. Because I think, you know, you know, there's commitment, and, you know, we talk about the, you know, yeah, is this a, is this a romance or not? I mean, yeah, he took took his robe off, but the real intimate language is, is the talking about the soul, like I'm binding mm -hmm. soul to soul. I mean, that's that's a lot more intimate than the surface level, ooh, he took his robe off, you know? Right. <laughs> um, like, we don't always talk about friendships and relationships like that, and... Uh, and we definitely, I feel like, don't always have those covenants to back yeah. them up, right? Like, we are going to talk once a week at least. You know, I mean, right. those kinds of things. Sometimes we maybe have those things roughly in practice, but rarely is it spelled out, I think. In this day and age where friendships are constantly changing, like the way we used to get together, the way we've been friends before, um, I think it requires some real intentionality on our part now. Yeah. And I think as, as this we're in COVID time, um, continues to unravel for us, I think it becomes more important to think about how are we committed to one another for the long haul, um, mm -hmm. instead of sort of sitting in the here and now and the convenient of, I can just operate in my own little world and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's something more about the bonding beyond what feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, friendships seem superficial compared to that, the soul talk. And I wonder if we did have more of a covenant, um, nothing formal you have to write out, but that covenant that when you change jobs or you leave school or you move out of that neighborhood, if those friendships would remain. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's almost like we kind of accept that, or I feel like I have in adulthood, that relationships kind of change and ebb and mm -hmm. flow, yeah. you know? And But there is a real acknowledgement that it takes commitment to maintain a relationship, mm -hmm. whether that's a marriage, whether that's a friendship, uh, you know, no matter what the case, even as coworkers, you know, mm -hmm. like it doesn't just happen. Relationships don't just happen. They take effort and commitment. What do you think in the day and age of social media, how quickly we are to call someone a friend that we don't talk to? Yeah. Um, or how quickly we unfollow a friend um, <laughs> if we don't like agree us, with them. Yeah. Yes. Right? I mean, there's so many ways that friendship, the notion of friendship has changed over time. And either we buy into that or we, we completely disregard it. Um, so how do, we, how do we think about who our friendships are in these spaces and places? Or how much drama and am, am I worry am I willing to put up with? Oh. Um, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's some great great ways to think about the way we encounter people in social media especially. Um, and do I unfollow, do I unfriend, do I have an honest Snooze heart to heart? Right. Snooze for thirty days, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or do I have a hard heart for heart when we disagree? And I think that's so hard when so many conversations that we need to be happy to, having these days need to happen in person, I think, or yeah. they ideally would. Right. And yet that's that's just not as much an option these days. I'm moved by the 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 phrase, um, what does he say? Something about souls. Well, this, that their souls are, you know, uh, like he loved him as his own soul. I've noticed this in, in my friendships. You know, we can get along fine and surface level but it's those moments I wonder if it's it's David and Jonathan had moments where they actually had good conversation and deep conversation and and allowed um, themselves to be vulnerable with their souls to one another and then therefore could trust that like I just I there's a friend of mine that I've known him through this group of guys that we all hang out and we had a conversation just the two of us for a good hour and I think when we have those moments, our souls connect. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily romantic, or it's not, it's not like, it's not intimate to a point of, you know, whatever. But it's, but no, it's intimate, smooching. yeah. No, but, it's, but it's intimate where two yeah. souls are connecting and yes. they understand one another, you know? Yeah. But we don't get that often. Well, I had a good conversation with a friend that I haven't talked to in now for three or four weeks. And I ended the call and Ellie asked me, well, what did you, you know, how was it? What did you talk about? And I said, man, that was good for my soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's just that, that emptying of your spirit into the life of someone else or investing in. Um, I, that soul language becomes so powerful. It does. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be made into, into romantic. Right. I, I think about, okay, so we've got, uh, we've got Jonathan and David. We've got Frodo and Samwise. Sure. I mean, people say yeah. that their relationship may have been homosexual. I don't think so. They even talk about Jesus and his disciples like that. Mm -hmm. But I think the point of it isn't whether or not they were having very intimate relations. The point of it was their bond. You know, I look at Frodo and Samwise, and I'm just inspired by that friendship. Yeah. You know, you don't see anything, you know, um, behind the scenes, but you know that they have this deep connection and want to be there for one another inspiring yeah. when I think for David I mean that is something he needed because he you know here he is chosen by God he is you know worthy he's in the midst of his ascendancy mm -hmm. that word we used before and and he needs a friend 
I, and it, it's strange and it's complicated that that friend happens to also be the son of the king and it gets messy and it'll be his brother-in-law but like like there's drama and layers there um but it's a time that david needed a friend and there are times where we all need a friend right and it's powerful in this story like what jonathan's role is and what follows this this language of being bound soul to soul also then comes in the transference of stuff you know jonathan actually hands over his his robe and his sword and his bow and his belt i mean he's giving these gifts to to david um and if you sort of begin to unpack that he's really transferring the kingship that he would receive to david i mean there's a trust there in that in that his dad hasn't is no longer fit but david is showing the gifts and skills that are worthy um, and I think it's important to know that as that continues, that relationship develops, there's a trust there. There's a, a leaning in. Um, and we learn about like Jonathan's faithfulness to God. He's on the same sort of level as David is. Um, and that awareness I, I kind of wondered and curious about was, would he have known as a person faithful to God that Saul was failing and that God's favor was not with his dad um, and that David's was growing and God's favor was with him. I mean, it's just kind of this curious and awareness of what you see. It seems like he was, yeah. Right. And I think unlike Saul, who was, who was all wrapped up in himself, Jonathan could have taken that. That was his crown to be had. Yeah. And he loved David and gave it to him. Right. Sacrificed. I am really curious about Jonathan, the Jonathan in chapters 15 and 16. Where they don't mention him, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's just it is it is the intrigue of this soap opera that we're watching, right? And it's it just feels, it feels like whiplash a lot in yeah. the story. Like you get this one point, and then a next verse is completely disregarded or changed. Or I mean, it's this bouncing back and forth that kind of makes you wonder what these characters are doing. Yeah. Um, and and what we're finding out is that this becomes a sense of devotion to David. Um, we kind of think about it everybody is is fascinated and drawn into david's skills and david's abilities um and jonathan is part of that sort of fascination mm-hmm. yeah well are you ready for a real big twist all right what a twist do, 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 do. <laughs> it's time for a game this is a game called child of saul or FDA-approved medication. What? <laughs> I am going to read you a name, and you have to tell me, is this the name of one of Saul's children, or is this the name of an FDA-approved medication? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. As ready as I'll ever be. Should have studied. <laughs> and I, I pronounce both Saul's uh, children's names poorly and these medication names poorly. Okay. So, uh... Don't let my poor pronunciation try to be a clue because I'll pronounce them both badly. Anakinra. Anakinra. Saul's child. Child. Sure. Anakinra is an immunosuppressive (laughs) drug that is used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Oh my God. All right. Well, thank goodness we don't have that because we don't know. I hope somebody listening got that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, if you know, you know, and can write that let, in the comments. Let us know. Yeah, let yeah. us know. All right, next. 
Azor. Drug. That's a child. I think that's a child, too. That is an FDA-approved medication oh, for, for high Pete's blood sake. pressure. <laughs> my dad took it. Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> One for Lisa. Okay. Ready? Malkishua. I'll say that's a, ch- that's a child. That's a child. That is the third son of Saul. Well yes. done. Well done. Point. All right. Moban. Drug. Moban. Child. Jeremy? Ooh, let's go child. Moban is an antipsychotic, oh. which is used in the United was, States as a that was a gas. schizophrenia. Gotcha. That was a gas. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Dad didn't take that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do one more. Ida Rukizumab. I will say that's a child. Oh, I've been Ida wrong the whole Ru- time. Let's go yeah. back. <laughs> uh, drug. In October of 2015, the FDA approved. Oh, for sake. Uh, uh, for use in patients. Uh, Let's see. This is horrible. Oh, it's for it's if you're taking blood thinners and they're bleeding, it'll help with that. So, okay. no uh, personal knowledge. There of that you go. One that was uh, a rag. Wow. Thank you for playing child of Saul or FDA approved medication. So here are Saul's actual children's names. Uh, Saul uh, had four sons: Jonathan, Ibinabab, Il Ilkishaua. And Ishbaheth. And he had two daughters, Mirab and Michael. Okay. So I just want to say, I, it's hard to believe that Jonathan became the modern popular name out of all those. Right? It's, it's yeah. funny that you don't have people running around named Malkithushua. There, wow. there might be. There probably are in yeah. other places. If you know one, I don't know any. Leave it in the comments. Right. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you for playing Child of Saul or FDA approved. Oh my gosh, that is funny. I listen to a podcast called Go Fact Yourself, Mm -hmm. and they do stuff like that. They'll go back and forth between three different kind of options. Oh man. Good job, Nathan. Thank you. Fantastic work. Thank you. You you did not that I would have a little bit of knowledge of that. Apparently, that's out the window. Seminary not taken. No, that didn't stick. Well, I knew the drugs. So moving on. No. Oh, are we get to move on? Uh, right. Good. Uh, um, we kind of move into the next part of the story. Apart from children, we'll get to those later on here. Uh, but you know, thinking about this story through the the lens of what's happening, um, any good movie, any good book has this sort of the peak of the plot, um, and we're discovering this point in the story really begins the unraveling of one and the the growing of another, um, and so. Saul has witnessed all of David's success, sent him on military conquest. He's growing in power. He's growing in stature. Um, And so David has this great moment. He's sent on a mission, comes back, um, and then the plot thickens, so to speak. Um, Dun, dun, dun. Like, we get this great moment of, like, oh, this is where it all really begins to unravel. 
Um, David comes returning triumphantly into the city and the people start shouting, well, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. Um, and Saul immediately in verse eight um, just unravels. They've ascribed to me thousands um, and David ten thousands. What more can you have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. This moment of, oh, I'm a little bit jealous here. Like this isn't... Um, this isn't quite the way that I anticipated being a king would go, that some, right. you know, shepherd from the hills becomes this, you know, beloved person. Um, and so Saul is really kind of becoming aware that God's favor isn't with him and with David. And so the story takes this kind of interesting shift. And I'm always curious as I read texts like this, like, what do we do with that? Um, or another way to think about this is, have you ever, ever had experience with friendships and jealousy i was a middle school high school girl that'll do it yes <laughs> oh right <laughs> so books <laughs> a little bit yeah right and and it's interesting when you look back um just had a reunion last summer and we talked about stuff like that because yeah. now that we're all much older and wiser that stuff like that didn't matter anymore so that growing from that wisdom of growing out of that stage was a very healthy thing <laughs> obviously yeah well, it's like, I think in this story, you know, it, it's such a quick shift from, you know, you know, Saul loves David. He plays awesome music, makes his head feel better. He kills the giant. That's awesome. He goes on all these missions. David is great. David's the best. David, wait a second. David's the best? <laughs> like, yeah. all, all of a sudden, like, it goes from, this is a great guy to have around to, well, he can't be the best. I'm the king. You right. know, and I feel like that's kind of, you know, jealousy kind of sneaks up on us sometimes where, it's like, oh, yeah, all, all is good. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, I want what they're having. <laughs> the grass is always greener on the other side. In the beginning of this conversation, when we were first reading um, the text, I think it was it was the Reader's Theater, there was two phrases that repeated themselves. And the spirit of the, there was a spirit of the God on him. Yeah. I wonder if jealousy was that. Because remember the last Sacred Wit, we talked about the, the spirit that God had given him was depression. Yeah. You know how they interpret it back in the, in yeah. the biblical days. Right. I wonder if that, I mean, that could have been easily what that spirit was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do we do with that? I mean, mm -hmm. how do you think about the sense of jealousy as, as God not there or there? Or... And I... Mm. I have a thing about over-spiritualizing things. Yeah. And, and that statement says that, that Saul was victim to a spirit. Mm -hmm. We know that nowadays we're not. Right. You know, if we suffer from jealousy, we can do something about that. Yeah. You know, I, I have wrestled with friendship jealousies all my life. When I was little, when I was little we had, had this group of, of boys that would get together for birthdays. Well, there was one birthday that I knew happened, but I wasn't invited. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a pivotal moment for me. And I took that trauma with me through the rest of my life, into my adult life. And I would say in the past five years is when I recognize that as my trigger point and, and how it feeds into how I perceive my adult relationships. But uh, once I... But once I um, discovered that I realized wait a minute if I want to hang out with these people why don't I just take the bull by the horns and do it myself yeah. you know so I'm not victim to that spirit right. of jealousy mm -hmm. you know I can do something about it yep 
Oh man, I think when you share that story, we all, everybody, you know, has that oh kind of right, feeling right. just right deep down yeah. in here because we can all remember that feeling at some point or other of being left out. And, and and I think about you know the next step. I think about you know that couldn't be any worse, right? I was like, there's nothing worse than that. And then I experienced my kid having that experience, oh. and it is. It is worse. <laughs> like it's I would worse. rather be left out of everything in the world than for uh, for them to experience that kind of uh, pain, pain yeah. and 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 trauma that you're talking about. Because we know how much we carry those feelings mm-hmm. with us. How hard it is to let go. I know how hard it is for me to let go, and then to watch them have to hold that pain. It's mm. like, ooh, man. Yeah. This is like how that trauma carries forward. Like. Mm-hmm. So I, as a kid, I was never the popular kid. Most of high school, I, I floated between groups, but I never I never was the cool kid or the jock or, like, the theater kid. Like, I just never really fit in anywhere. And so, like, as I got older, like, I always wondered, well, do they like me? Do they not? Like, I always have these questions of, am I a part of that or am I not? And where, where do I belong, so to speak? And it becomes this interesting space to dwell so i can i can see where saul's story really sort of encapsulate even some yes. of my own unfortunately he was an adult right yeah, yeah. so so daryl and i have been talking about arrested development just right. sure. just this idea that some people get stuck in this in an age in a, whether it's five years old or 27 and in between and just can't get out of it and i feel like so, I think we just named the second spirit that vexed Saul, yeah. arrested development. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't know. If he was a healthy individual, I mean, if he had struggled with his own self, he probably wouldn't have faced this. No, and you'd think he would take know. David as his own. I yeah. Mean, be proud of that. Yeah. Right. You know. Right. He, he could have had the opportunity to put his arm around David and say, me and this guy, yeah. we're, we're in it together. Uh, right. But, I mean, he couldn't get over his own insecurities enough yeah. to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think like what you said Taylor, that you know those feelings of jealousy, we can feel so like we're the victim in that, you know, and and it feels like that. Those are real feelings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're the ones that control those feelings. Like yeah, these other friends maybe did this thing, and I wasn't invited, and that feels really bad. Well, but I'm the one producing those feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm also the only one that can move past those feelings because they don't even know those feelings are happening. And, uh, you know, and so I always think about that as an example of like, okay, well, what I really am feeling is jealous that they're getting together and doing something fun as friends. Well, why don't I make that happen for me? You know, Um, like, you know, Annie has this regular girls night during the non-COVID normal times. Like once a month, these college friends get together and it's great. And sometimes I'll mope and say, well, I don't know why you get to go do that once a month. And I don't get to do anything. She's like, well, what's stopping you from calling your friends to get together? and that's it and that's a hard truth but it's a truth and yeah. uh and so i think there's yeah like jealousy isn't insurmountable like we often know the cure right. <laughs> but uh taking action is you know sometimes it feels good to be the victim and, right. and to feel bad for ourselves yeah. to say oh, david's the problem well right. saul you kind of had some issues yourself right but I also face this in my work. I look at all the other music directors that I know of, and I go, why can't I be like them? 
Mm. So there's a jealousy in that too. And I think that may just even relate more to Saul. Like he's seeing someone else that is better at his job than him. And again, it does come down to proactive, you know, how you view yourself and knowing yourself and knowing your gifts. Yeah. Unfortunately, Saul just couldn't get past it. Yeah. I think it's this fine line of cockiness and arrogance too that we've talked about a few times has kind of crept in. Yeah. I think David knows who David is and David knows who God is with David. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Saul begins to lose that sense of like, why do they... You know, they give credit to ten thousands to him, but only thousands to me. It becomes sort of this internal battle of, well, I'm not good enough, or I don't measure up. Where David, I think, is just doing what David does. I mean, this seems and very... a lot of times doing what Saul's telling him to. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like Saul's sending him into battle. Right, and it seems very authentic to David to be true to himself, whereas mm-hmm. Saul begins to unravel of what it means to be true. Um, and I think that becomes that balance of arrogance and cockiness and. Well, his identity has right. been shaken. Yeah. Right. And Ooh. I think that mm. begins to unravel even <laughs> further as we move further into the story, too. Yeah. People do not like their identity shaken. Nope. Right. Yeah. Ooh, girl. Right. <laughs> well, and that ultimately <laughs> will be where the role of the prophets come in as the, as the kings of Israel uh, rule. It'll come to the roles of the prophets to shake those kings awake and say, hey, Saul, uh, you're still king. We need you to be king, not to be moping about how this general of yours is winning your battles. Like right. that's not a bad thing. Hello, you know, and right. and that'll kind of be the role of the prophets, uh, waking the kings up to the injustices that are all around them, the real problems as opposed to the symptoms. Right. That's right. Are we moving from judges, the system of judges, into the system of prophets? Right. Judges to kings, and the prophets begin to yeah. sort of unravel the kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about that yeah. whole transition of, like, God's system, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's almost kind of like the system correction. When you got these kings that are, are too powerful or corrupt and whatnot, the prophets come in to kind of right the ship a little bit. It's kind of their role. Oh, the cool. voices of reason. Yeah, yep. VORs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, Exactly. Well, next, the story really takes uh, the real soap opera drama turn. So this is, I don't know uh, what season this would be of Days of Our Lives. Um, These are um, the Days of Our Lives. As the kingdom turns. As the kingdom yeah. Yes. Our stomach turns. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, Carol. Carol Burnett. We shouldn't tease Lisa for her love of soap operas. Hey. Oh. It was, it was the time, it right? It was the time. It was the time. It was trendy. Well, um, there's a few verses in First Samuel chapter 18 that tell of this like strange, tangled relationship that Saul and David have. How it gets even, in some ways, kind of stranger as their family trees like literally get joined together. And we kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know. Basically, uh, Saul has gotten jealous of David, like we were just talking about, and yet in the midst of it, he also decides that it would be okay for David to marry his older, uh, his oldest daughter. And uh, so that's going on while uh, David is also like best friends with his oldest son, Jonathan. Uh, but then Saul gets mad and tries to kill David and uh, for the first time uh, and uh, then decides that, you know what? No, I don't want this guy to marry my oldest daughter. So he lets his oldest daughter marry someone else. But then he has second thoughts and thinks, you know, well, actually, I just heard that uh, my 
daughter Michael, the uh, younger daughter, she loves David. Yeah, you can marry that one, David. I mean, it's just, it's bananas. It's so intertwined and tangled, all these characters. And who's loving who? Who's marrying who? And uh, their, their family trees get tangled together in this way that is only communicated in five verses. And so we're going to read these wow. five verses and just listen to the intrigue and drama that's crammed into these. You know, this is likely at least months long of drama, but likely even more like years it just gets condensed into these five verses here, or four verses that show up here. So, uh, Taylor, why don't you read us the as the kingdom turns? As the kingdom here. turns. <laughs> this is First Samuel chapter eighteen, verses seventeen through twenty-one. Then Saul said to David, "Here is my elder daughter Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Uh, only be valiant for me and fight for the Lord's battles." For for Saul thought. I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines deal with him. David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my kinsfolk, my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the, but at, at the, time, of, but at the time when Saul's daughter Mirab should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholahite thite, as a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. Saul was told, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to, said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. <laughs> and David said, okay, which kind of makes Hello. me wonder, like... David, are you okay? Right. <laughs> like this crazy king trying to kill you, uh, but you still want to call, hey, dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is great. Well, the messiness of family relationships just continues. I mean, that, and that becomes the, the continuation of the story, too. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting, like Saul and David become fractured after this part and they move forward in the story. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper next week. Yeah. Um, but it also becomes interesting, like, Jonathan and David's relationship also becomes fractured. Like the family tie that binds all of a sudden is put to the test. Um, Jonathan risks everything to follow and befriend David over the king, his father. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that sort of messiness and intrigue, both in the relationship, the family, the system. Like, this is a great uh, education tool in systems theory, family systems theory. I was just going to say, yeah. this sounds like family systems right. theory. Mm -hmm. How do you all function at the end of this day? Um, and that kind of sets up and, and really sort of plays into the next part of the story. Yeah, um, because, you know, so it's just like beautiful friendship that we've been, you know, celebrating the, the beauty of a Jonathan and David. But it does take that kind of tragic turn because ultimately then, what Jonathan is doing is choosing this friend, David, over his own father, who flies off the handle, tries to kill David again, and ultimately David has to flee for his life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week is David, man on the run, uh, and how he's, you know, on the run, and that leaves Jonathan home with dad, you know. Mm -hmm. Word, like that's not going to be great because he he's already chosen the other and so um it it's it's a tough go of it for the rest of jonathan's life um there, there's not a whole lot of great redemption and joy in the rest of his story and it's so counterpoint to what you witnessed at the beginning i mean yeah. if we begin to see this 
the messiness of family, the messiness of relationship, and the, and the sense of how does friendship ultimately develop or die in some of these spaces. Yeah. Um, and it's great for us as we take this one step further. Yeah, so tune in next week as we talk about David, a man on the run. <laughs> man yeah. on the run. You got it. <laughs> yeah. So let's close tonight with Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.